0: hello and welcome to episode 12 of sitting in i hope you're all doing well it's been a really busy time actually for me i've been teaching a lot online and also moved house so sorry for the uh, radio silence but hopefully we can move forward uh starting now today i'm sitting in with thomas seminar ford a seasoned jazz guitarist and lecturer at one of the uk's biggest music colleges Dimon. Thomas is a highly sought-after guitarist in the jazz and Latin world, having been part of all-star groups such as Chris Dave and the Drumheads, fellow Birmingham pianist Ruben James's band, and work alongside Poppy Ajuda. In this podcast, we spoke about Thomas' non-Western musical influences growing up, his unusual collection of guitars, and his take on the sweet, sweet science of fretboard mechanics. Do you speak French?
1: I don't speak French, well, I learned French at school, but, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know, in my head,
0: for, like, the last year, I thought, like, you spoke French for some reason. I don't know why, it's bizarre.
1: I speak a bit of Portuguese.
0: bit of Portuguese, cool, man. How did that come
1: about? Uh, I play with, um, I kind of, uh, well, going right back before, before Portuguese, um. I mean, this is so basic, but, like, the Buena Vista Social Club album was, like, you know, big thing. Um, and then I just got this love of Latin American music, and then through that I discovered uh, kind of Bossa Nova and George Gilberto and Tom Jobim. And, uh, yeah, when I went to study music, I, like, just linked up with loads of Latin Americans and then especially Brazilians, and then kind of ended up playing and touring with a lot of Brazilian people and kind of picked up some of the lingo on the way nice um so yeah but not much i never i never got fluent and my i've kind of fallen out of you know practice so now my mm. portuguese is abysmal yeah um, it's one of those things like
0: i think i think a lot of people wish they could speak a, a different or another language um and for me I, i'm a, i've always been interested in french and I remember studying it in high school because um, I essentially, I only had, I was only allowed to take one free period. I don't know if you mm-hmm. got that when you were in high school. Um, also, are you recording? Yeah. Cool, good. This is this is the flow. <laughs> um, cool, cool, cool. So, yeah, I had to take a, a one free period, but I was only allowed one, and... I had to take a random subject and I was like oh man what will I do I've not done French since I was in primary school and so I just like crash course French for like a year and it was so yeah. good like going through that process of learning another language and I think also um, we kind of forget that we're definitely speaking some sort of another language with music absolutely like, that, ta- that takes a lot of upkeep and um, absolutely absolutely It's the same if you... No, I bet if you didn't play Brazilian music for two years when you went back, you would lose some of the kind of intricacies of the style, I'm sure,
1: right? Oh, definitely. I mean, like, I think some things... um, I think, yeah, I I do think that music... I use music as the... I use the analogy of learning a language consistently when I'm, like... uh, Whether it's teaching people or even just discussing it, I'm always using that kind of uh basic analogy of like learning music's like a language i think like one of the interesting things is that like um the i, I guess with music i think i think the the thing with western as i guess if we're dealing with western music so what we generally study and learn so our kind of 12 tone chromatic scale and Uh, Then everything within that's essentially being based on like a diatonic major scale system of some degree. Um, We can kind of see like all the like things like Brazilian music or Cuban music or jazz or bluegrass or stuff. It's kind of like uh, different languages within the same root. So it's kind of like the Latin based languages. So like Portuguese people find it easier to learn and speak Spanish or Italian or even French because the language is all from the same Root, whereas like uh germanic languages uh which kind of english is sort of english is a bit of a weird one but like mm. we find it a bit more difficult because it's like we have different um a different basis behind it so like even if i take two years off brazilian music because like generally a lot of the structure is still the same it, it's quick to get back into it Whereas, like, I think, say, something like Turkish music, which has its whole, whole like, system, um, like, its whole theoretical system, um, I mean, which I can't play anyway. But if I did learn to play it and then had, like, two years off, I think that would be more of a shock to this Because that's, like... It's almost like a base... Like, its roots are kind of completely... Not completely far... There's always, like, links, but um, it's there are more tenuous links between, like, what we know. So I kind of, I mean... I think, I think there's, I think it's kind of like maybe the analogy, I mean, it's a worn out cliche, but riding a bike, you never forget. (laughs) Um, So I think like if you learn to play, say, Brazilian music, like it's always going to be there embedded in you somewhere. It might just take a little bit of refreshing to come back. Um, Cool, man. Have you studied many other
0: styles of music that are country specific? you know like for example music from the Balkans or like Celtic music or
1: uh so um I got really I did get really into uh microtonal music when I was at university um because I had my guitar teacher is a great guitarist called Dave Huzinski um and he plays like a fretless guitar so I kind of flirted with like m- like arabic music north north african music and um a bit of turkish music uh and then stuff but i never i never like invested the time to like fully master it i just kind of like flirted on the edges of it and i'll listen to it and i try to incorporate some I-, I mean it's a very kind of um you know like simplified version it, it's some i sometimes feel i'm almost being offensive with my attempts to play some of this music because um but yeah i i really liked um music from there and like the balkans as well there's bits and pieces just because the musicians in the balkans a lot of their um inflections and phrasing and melodic kind of ideas are really linked to Arabic and Turkish music as well. There's, like, some really similar... It's like Greek music. There's some real similarities just because of the, like, the demographics of the region and the history. So, like, you can kind of find, like... Um, I think, like, Balkan music. If you go on YouTube, there's all these, like, v- VHS videos from the 90s of guitarists just teaching riffs. They're really bad quality VHS that people have put on youtube but they're like you can kind of see the link between like our our like western music and like the kind of macam based system uh sort of so Mm. i've kind of like dipped my toe in that's about it i'd say wow Um, that
0: this is like really interesting stuff i you're making me feel like a one-dimensional musician like (laughs) i'm just trying to get a get a hand of the stuff i know and like I know a bit about like Scottish traditional music because we're taught in school uh-huh. and I've played in bands that have to play that kind of music. Um, but I'm really curious, how did you broaden your kind of scope and all these styles? Because you seem to have a natural curiosity towards it. Where oh. for me, like I would have to read up on this stuff and like know about how the Greek music influenced Turkish music and they all come from this place and that place. Like it's super interesting. How did you get into this?
1: Um. So... I think like ultimately I can trace this back to when I was really young and first started playing music. Um, the the like the initial kind of guitar stuff that I really liked was really obvious. So like I liked Oasis and I liked Blur. Yeah. Um, and then I that was quickly followed by like uh, Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, Danny as My my dad plays guitar so. He, oh, great. he he'd um, he'd give me like st- so he gave me like a Hendrix CD and then he gave me like a Danny Gatton CD and that was like whoa this g- and Danny Gatton was like a good early kind of dude that's doing loads of different stuff he plays a bit of jazz he's got some like bop language he's got all the country stuff he plays like banjo rolls on the guitar and like I kind of loved that um, but then my dad would just give me like CDs so my dad's not really a jazz guitarist at all uh, and doesn't really listen to jazz but he had a big music collection so he gave me um he gave me a Django Reinhardt thing uh early on and he gave me he gave me this the one Miles Davis album he had was called Water Babies and it's a, like an obscure second quintet album that was released cool. in the 70s of like uh, unreleased Wayne Shorter compositions and half the album's wow. the second quintet and half the album is kind of like the early electric mile stuff with Chick Corea and Herbie Hancock so he gave me this and like I was just kind of like that was like an early exposure to jazz and it was just like really heavy stuff yeah man but all this stuff was like before I was 10 so it kind of like I was just used to like all this like I didn't know anything. I still really liked Blur and I liked Nirvana and I liked all that Mm. stuff. But then there was this like whole other world of like um, super like weird like music that I had no understanding of and I kind of really wanted to. So that's like early on, I just got used to this thing of, you know, there's always other music. And I got into a habit of going to HMV and spending my pocket money in the world music section or the jazz section and just like literally just going off album covers what looked interesting that's and awesome man there was some good things and some really awful things you know? yeah so wow. and there it was just, it's just completely random it was just like you know that I, I don't think there was like a specific cause of it or other than i was exposed to like some quite um like different music early on
0: that that's fantastic i so my dad's favorite musician is frank zappa and mm-hmm nowadays i could understand why but when you're 12 year old who is only into like uh guns and roses yeah i I just didn't get it (laughs) yeah and it it took me a long time to open up my ears to these uh it's not even that it's like necessarily because it's more complicated music but it was just different from what i was familiar with and it seems that from a young age you were naturally very open to just trying out things and i think we all are as like babies and we slowly become more closed up but um i guess around the age you were being like around 10 year old yeah 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 like you must have like that's prime time to get someone into a style that's like not hip at the time you know what i mean yeah because like they're so naive and then because when i started playing guitar i was uh a really self-conscious like emotional 12 year old like mm-hmm. moving on to being 13 and I was not interested in any of that kind of stuff like I I didn't think like for me it was just about rock and that's all yeah. i had done but I definitely think you getting into at a young age is uh why we're having this conversation right now and you're so naturally able to con- converse about it
1: yeah, I mean it's it's kind of the 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 flip side of it. There is a flip I think there's always like a positive and a negative to everything. So the flip side to this is like although there were some there was some popular bands of course like Oasis and Blur and then Blink-182 and Green Day and like I did like I used to skateboard so like there was the whole um that side of it, but there was a lot of stuff that like I shunned because I didn't think it was um musically worthwhile listening to so like the Beatles for years and as a kid when I first heard them my dad was just like right you have to check out like Rubber Soul and stuff and I was just like this is rubbish this is this sucks like it's badly recorded like the guitars are all out of tune (laughs) you know and then like now I love the Beatles now like they're literally now I've got so much like from them but I didn't get anything from them until I was in my 20s and I pretty much like guns, it was at uni that I kind of got into the Beatles. But as a result, like that kind of me being like really open-minded with music and going all over the place. Apart from what was like uh, culturally and socially part of me, like so the modern music, um like all this great stuff from the past. I was kind of like, yeah, this is nah, I'm not I'm good. Like I'm I don't need to listen to this. And that was the flip side of it is that like. And also with pop music, like, there was a lot of pop music I kind of shunned um, as a result because I was just like, oh, this is just, like, this is crap. This is something. And now I've got, like, a completely different view on it all. I quite like, like, a lot. I quite like, I see, like, the positive side and, like, the actual beneficial artistic side of some commercial pop music that, like, does actually exist once you kind of get your head around the fact that, there's different limitations to that music and stuff so I mean like it's one of those things like I and I always think it doesn't really matter when you get in stuff it kind of like because it's only about right now in the present so it's like you know like me and you now are both guitarists that are into loads of different music and listen to that and that's like right now so like we can kind of discuss how we got here but then like it really it's just like right now that matters um, in a sense but it's interesting to go yeah. back and see what happened um yeah no absolutely i i'm
0: just i'm intrigued as to dig it into other people's history and sort of seeing mm-hmm. as to how they got to where they are because you know in some ways everybody in the podcast were in the same situation yeah. we're roughly all like within the same age within 20 years or something it's mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of close and we're all like young and we've all kind of started doing something online but most importantly we're all musicians who are creating music yeah and uh i think it's really interesting to find out how people got there and also kind of what they're up to now yeah and i'm totally with you on the the here and now but i do have one question regarding okay. your past if you sure. don't mind yeah sure um or maybe your present but it seems like your ears have done a lot of traveling and yeah. I'm just curious because I love traveling myself. And is that something that's been a big part of your life up until now?
1: Uh, yeah. So um, again, there's like, I, I can like pinpoint really specific weird things. So like the Buena Vista social club um, with that, it wasn't actually the album. It was the guardian gave away a free DVD of the the documentary and i watched it cool. and like i liked Raikuda anyway i always thought he was like super cool and like uh interesting guy and i had um i had the album of him and ali Fakatore, the um african guitarist uh so i i was kind of this should be good and that like just blew my mind seeing havana and all this stuff and um i had a vhs they used to do this thing where you could buy, like, a tourist VHS with, like, a tourist video on it for cities. So, like, <laughs> we had one for New York. I don't know why. It was, like, just this, like, tourist VHS from New York. And I had this dream of going to America when I was younger. And I was, like, it just seemed like, you know, like, the you know, this cliche, the land of the free and, like, everything's possible in America. But just like this huge big city and I'd watch this VHS and like, I just, it it literally was just going through the city and just saying like, here's Lower East Side and here's this and this is here and stuff. But I'd watch it like obsessively as a kid and it just like sparked all this, I wanna travel. Um, but unfortunately as a kid, I didn't really get to go abroad much. I went to France on a school trip and uh, went to Spain like a couple of times with my mom. Um, but then when I was 15, um, me and my mom went to Austin in Texas for like a month. It was like a music holiday, just because there's loads of music there. Yeah, man. And yeah, that changed everything. That like kind of changed everything. And then we went to New York a couple of times, saw loads of gigs. And then, I, I mean, I ended up studying at Berkeley Um and a big part of that was kind of like i have to go play i have to get out and i have to you know see the bigger world um kind of thing um and then like yeah since then i lived in berlin for a bit and i've kind of been all around europe i've been back to the states quite a few times uh and been to the middle east i've not like actually got further than the middle east i really want to go Far further, but I just haven't had chance yet. Um I I went to Cuba and Mexico and stuff as well. And like, it's that thing that I'm trying to like slowly kind of tick places off. When mm. I mean, obviously now it's gonna be a little wait till there's any more travel going on. But um, you know, it's that thing that like I kind of it's it's a weird mixture because I've gone to places to do gigs or tour, but you. Don't always get to necessarily travel doing that because it's like hotel, venue, check, gig, hotel, yeah. leave. So like there's some places I've been where I don't consider I've actually been there, even though I've technically mm. been there. Like I don't. So yeah. I kind of like to travel, but like on my terms, which means it's expensive, which means that I can only do it as and when. Um, but yeah, yeah, I do I do really like to try... And I think the great thing is, like, with music, it's like there is that universal side of it as a language. So you could go anywhere with an acoustic guitar and find some local musicians. And even if you play, like, really, like, different music, you're going to be able to f- figure out some communication between you. And that's the great thing. Of course. So... Yeah. And
0: I guess that leads us on to one thing that we've... I think we've chatted about quite a bit between ourselves is um, the idea and I know you think quite strongly on this, the idea of music being a language, and I mean, I don't even think it's an idea. I think it's quite set in stone, at least in my sort of philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so a while ago, I'd put up a post on my Instagram story that sparked a lot of conversation, really beneficial conversation. And I was sort of just thinking about music theory and how, I can't remember the exact way I phrased it, but I was sort of saying, it's like, if you don't know your music theory, to some extent, it's almost like sort of being able to re, hmm, like recite a language, but not really understand the meaning of the words. Yeah. And I had so many people like giving great ideas about how. Well, all right, maybe it's not like the words. Maybe it's a bit like the grammar or the inflections. And, yeah. Um, you're one of the people who reached out and uh, you agreed, but you had said that you, you know, you teach this in somewhere you teach or something. Like that. I can't remember what you said. So I was just wondering. You know what are your thoughts? Can we discuss that further? Because I think it's yeah, a really absolutely. healthy chat to have.
1: Absolutely. So um, yeah, I teach I teach at BIM, um, one of the BIM campuses. Is that um, Birmingham or Britain? yeah the Birmingham uh, the Birmingham one I teach at. Uh, that's funny. So, I just
0: I I've got a student from there right now because I think oh, the really? school's closed or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's just closed um, uh-huh. for a bit. Well, we're doing online lessons. Um, cool. But yeah, like uh, so, the, I use uh, this. These analogies of language a lot when I'm teaching, and a big one is that I really the thing you said about like being able to read something you can read something out, or you can be taught something and repeat it, but you don't actually know what you're saying. I, I can't, I totally agreed because this is a common thing I use as an example for most guitarists that are at a certain level, and I think guitar is like, um. I mean, I think any instrument that has become super popular in uh, commercial music since the 50s, the electric guitar being like probably the most popular one of all the instruments, um, is that as a result, we have have a, a huge kind of tradition now of people learning the instrument in a way that they essentially don't learn music and they don't learn the fundamentals of music. They just learn individual isolated events. So, and this is the same as learning basic phrases in a language and then walking around with a phrase book or Google translate. So it's that thing that's just like, you know, somebody could learn sweet child of mine, for example, Um, but sweet child of that, but that becomes like an isolated event and that's the issue. So like, they don't think about it in terms of like, a harmonic structure or like the main riff, like it's kind of melodic uh, structure and how that melody is put together and like what it fundamentally is and like how you could use that in something else or how you could use it to explain something else. It's just an isolated event. It's just Sweet Child of Mine. That's all it is. It's nothing else. And the solo is just Slash's solo and Sweet Child of Mine. It's not this thing full of musical language and like with examples of melodic development or stuff. It's literally just a one-off event which would be the same as learning like a Rainier uh, Maria Rilke poem in like in the original language. But you don't know. You can only say that. So it's you can't um, you can't speak fluently or like learning kind of learning to recite the whole of uh, a Kafka novel. But you can't speak German. It's just like that. It's just the one one off like and it's yep. that thing of isolated events which is really some like and i i think that's like a big issue is like people and I, I sometimes see it as an issue with like the grades especially the rock school grades and like a lot of the the way things are structured it's all about kind of repetition so it's like learn to play this piece really well play it but there's no explanation of like oh but while we're doing that the piece is actually based on a one, six, two, five. And this is, these are the relationships of these chords. And if we look at the melody here, it actually plays like a sharp 11 on the two and it's actually a dominant chord and that's modal instrument. You know, like there's so much you can learn about the language of music just with a simple piece. Yet most people aren't taught that way. So it literally is like being taught in school to speak another language, but you're, you're only ever learning isolated events. And everything's separate. So nothing's yep. like, and I, it's, it's that really weird thing. It's, um, and I think it's like as guitar teachers, um, we're, I don't know if you find this, but once somebody's got the basic technical skill down, essentially you become a music teacher and not a guitar teacher anymore. Um, yep. Absolutely you, Yeah. And then like, if you're dealing with somebody that I'm sure you have students that can already play competently that come to you they can play Sweet Child of Mine or they can play, you know, Oasis songs and they've got this huge back catalogue of music, yet they've got no relationship between all those songs. So then you're doing this thing of trying to backtrack with them and, like, start from the bottom and be like, yeah. look, you have all these foundations, you just don't understand what they are. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which, like... And so, yeah. Oh, no, and you go, man. Oh, no, I just, yeah, and I was just like... um, and that's that's the issue then. It's like, it's it's that thing of like reading out a language. It's just like, you've been told how to pronounce the words and how to read them, but you're not told how what they mean or how they relate to each other. You just know that if somebody says like, bonjour, you say, bonjour, savoir. Bonjour. Or like, yeah, Sava bien. But then somebody will come through with like, um, I mean, I don't speak any French, but then somebody could be like, oh, have you seen the weather today? It's like awful, isn't it? What do you think about that? And then all of a sudden you like... Uh, i don't know what to say yeah
0: (laughs) no no absolutely man and the way i usually get students into this is um let me think it's explaining to them that i don't think you need to be taking lessons to understand music for that long generally i I don't Mm. think it takes that long to understand the fundamentals of music and the selling point for that is that well I mean, first of all, you're going to save money because you won't need a teacher for a while. But second, yeah. you'll be able to teach yourself. Because yeah. I remember when I went into uni, I was just a rock guitarist who was like playing Joe Satriani, and that was about as cool as it got. But I never had a bloody clue about anything. I didn't even know what Lydian is, even though I'd played so many Satriani you nice, know what I mean? Nice. Or Steve I. And it's like, I had no idea. And it was when these doors started to open, mm-hmm. and I was taught how to understand music as a... I guess as a language, but if we dumb it down a bit, or not dumb it down, sorry, like simplify, it's like music theory. It's as yeah. simple as that, the way music works. Yeah. I realized that I didn't actually need to be taught after some time. Once uh-huh. they'd explained the general foundation of things, it was like, oh, so I can actually be curious and teach myself. Yeah. And so that's always something I tell my students. It's like, you know, you, you don't need to be taking lessons for the rest of your life. You know what i mean it's like maybe some people will because they want to dig deep into certain aspects or technique or whatever it may be and that's cool but if you don't have your foundations down then yeah you're missing half the puzzle and if you do just put in the work to learn it yeah it's like i I don't think it takes that long i really don't hey sorry for interrupting the podcast i'll just be one minute if you're receiving value from this podcast consider supporting me by getting some of the sitting in merch from teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash sitting dash in dash podcast that's t-e-e-s-p-r-i-n-g dot com forward slash stores forward slash sitting dash in dash podcast
1: no i don't think it takes long at all because i I mean like i always bring it back to the fact that like i mean it's that um it's all i always try and like simplify everything so i always try and like compress stuff it's like making theory a zip file full of like all the stuff <laughs> um yeah. and it's that i mean like basically i kind of obsess with students on just like diatonic harmony endlessly uh, until it clicks until they remember it only because it's like well the patterns are the same so you don't have to worry about 12 keys it's not like you have to learn 12 different things you learn one thing it fits all the keys um and it like you said it's like if you know i mean like once you taught the major scale and the like the diet the actual like harmonic side of the major scale not just like the individualized notes and how things are harmonized then you've kind of got all the modes within it it's all done and then like I mean, I was doing a lesson yesterday and I was we were talking about um, harmonic and melodic minor on top. And I was like, well, once you know the major scale really well, those two extra scales are essentially like just variants thereof. There's only like small differences between, but you can kind of like, um, you can kind of just make the mental shift in your head uh, between them. Yeah those scales you don't have to like it's not like again it's like oh i need to learn this whole new thing and it's completely separate everything can keep being like linked back to that fundamental like foundation
0: absolutely man and i'm really curious about your approach here because the way i teach this is um so we look at the the harmonic information within the major scale and for me the way that i present that information is just through intervals so i make Mm -hmm. them understand the relationship between each note, then we get into building chords and obviously yeah. changing intervals to get other chords. And so for me, the way I would teach say melodic minor would be by looking at the major scale intervalically and being like, look, you just have to change this one interval yeah. and it's actually really easy. Yeah. Is that the way you would go yeah. around it as well?
1: That's that's the exact, like I always with melodic minor, especially I'm literally just, you know, it is just that one note changes and i mean like i do like i mean from just a technical point on the guitar like i have always i try to get people to think intervalically on the instrument to like hear the intervals but also like because it's a visual instrument to start with to aid people just like being aware of just the the mechanics of the fretboard it's little things like getting people to play root position seven chords like drop two voicings and then just like saying like right we start with a tr- major triad we want to make it a minor triad where's the third what do we do to and it's just yeah. that thing of like it's it's purely intervals it's it all comes yeah. down to intervals um and also like i've said this to people before the funny thing with like with the it depends how curious your mind is and what kind of person you are but like if a, a, like a truly kind of curious music student that wants to explore everything if they're literally just taught the major scale. So I do this exercise sometimes, uh, like a, it's one of my lectures where I'm like, right, here's all you've been given for the whole year. And I put like a sc- screenshot of like C major on the board. And I'm, like, and I'm like, right, you tell me what you can base your practice off. That's all you've been given is just that scale. And like, assuming that they already know how to play that scale and one octave on the guitar, what do you do next? So then like the, the usual things are like, learn it in all 12 keys, okay and then learn it in intervals or sequences. Then we get on to harmonizing it and stuff. But then beyond that, I'm like, well, let's look at the intervallic structure of the, of the major scale. Once we look at all the intervals that are available and then go through the modes and see the other intervals that are available, every single, interv- every single like dyad is possible that exists. They're all there. Mm-hmm. And if you go through all the extensions, that every single one that could ever be thought of is there. You know? There's, like, there are no... So you can just get everything just from that scale. So it's that thing that if you're thinking purely intervallically, then you can start building new synthetic scales off it because the intervals are there. So then you can be like, well, the flat 9 is there on, like, the third degree to the fourth degree. So what if I try something where I put, like, uh, that semitone a whole tone apart, and then all of a sudden you've got a diminished scale? But it's just that thing of it's, like how curious does somebody want to be
0: yeah totally man but the the major scale it's uh it's almost as simple as that like if you're listening and you don't know your major scale inside out and you want to get into like understanding music it's the best place to start at least for harmony um rhythm is a completely different ball game yeah and uh styles have their own rhythmic sort of things as well idiosyncrasies And I think part of playing Brazilian music is getting that rhythm down. I played a mm-hmm. gig. Um, it was for a month. It was just like once every week with a, a Brazilian musician. And before I get into what I was going to say, I found the hardest. I think the best thing was the drummer, man. This was like some old guy. He was like, I don't know what age it was, but um, his feel was just so good. Like he had played this style of music for his whole life. He understood yeah. it. Um. But anyway... I do just remember the rhythmic thing being the toughest to uh digest really.
1: Yeah, it's um I think I I think that's what um like Brazilian music and Cuban music. I think the things that really drew me to it was that the rhythm, you know. Um I mean like well, Brazilian music harmonically there's some like unbelievable stuff going on. I mean yeah. the jobin tunes like the harmony they're just unique like the but ignoring that, the rhythmic side of it, it's its this thing of basing everything on clave, some mm-hmm. kind of clave, um, which then, like, if we trace back, uh, is essentially, like, West African. So it's, like, Afro-Cuban or Afro-Brazilian, like, all this, like, Afro-Sambas and stuff. Um, that, like, really strong sense of clave of 3 over 2, that polyrhythm, it's all mm-hmm. West African. Um, so for me... I mean, I think just listening to that stuff a lot when I was younger and then luckily getting to play with some musicians, but I kind of just transcribed all the guitar parts off the Buena Vista Social Club album. Like everything, I just like learned everything I could. Uh, and then like, it was the same with, uh, I had a George Gilberto album. Um, I think it was the one with Stan Getz on and you know, the classic. Yeah. Um, and I just worked all this stuff out Um, And then as I got older, I got more into, like, there's a Brazilian music called Chorinho or Choro, which is, like, there. Yeah, yeah, so, like, I I got quite into that as well. Um, But, yeah, like, I was just, like, because I was listening to that music a lot and um, kind of I learned at a young age. Um, When I did get to play with people, some more experienced people from those countries gave me tips and pointers and, like, actually playing with people really... Um, really helped and at at Berkeley, I played in like the Latin studio big band for a bit as well and awesome um, I spent a lot of time with Danilo Perez um, the piano player from Wayne Shorter's band he's from Panama and there's all these like influences that really helped Um, but yeah the rhythmic things like it is the thing that like separate for me it's like the thing that separates like somebody that really understands that music and then somebody that's like just kind of it's that thing like it's the real book thing of have seen like yeah. bossa and like it, <laughs> to me it almost sounds sometimes like on a casio keyboard where you press the boss it's like
0: yeah 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 yeah
1: it's funny because when you sorry that on. i was just
0: gonna say like at the beginning when you said um it's like sometimes you feel like you're playing like a bastard dies version of something if you don't know the the language maybe i think i can't or oh what was it you said Anyway, it was something like that. And sometimes when yeah. I'm playing bossa nova, it's like, I feel like I've only got a few things that I can actually do because I've never spent the time to like really, really get into the language of it. And it's mostly the rhythmic thing of it. Like the harmony, yeah. I can I can always get my head around most things. Yeah. But, and I do remember when I was playing with this band, I was kind of fortunate because I was, it was kind of weird gig. I was pretty much hired exclusively to play melodies and only solos cuz the other guitarist who sung all the tunes he was amazing at playing bossa nova oh nice um so i was kind of fortunate in a way but there was some of the tunes they were doing can't remember what's the one uh it's like a style that begins with an
1: x oh um sh- um I, <laughs> there's um oh what is that called again it's not afrocha i can't remember it's something man. like that uh I can't remember. I yeah, know anyway, it's the like north I, of Brazil.
0: I always remember those being just like, I just couldn't give up, man. Like it was, yeah. it was there was too much. Like I, it wasn't within my, uh, my feel sort of thing. I hadn't uh,
1: gotten into it, but I, I really love it. And yeah, I mean, stuff like that, that, that. I had an, I, I had an experience like that with somebody. Cause I kind of got known for a while in, uh, like the uk when i was younger um for being like the guy that plays jazz but plays all like this world music and like you know there's a thing where like people were kind of booking me for like all sorts of weird stuff uh well not weird cool. just like different and um but i had those experiences because people just assumed that i played everything and uh once i got booked for a klezmer gig um right so like the jewish music um and I went to a re- the violin player was really specific, so they wanted to rehearse first. They wanted to just rehearse me and them. And I I was at a point where I was kind of saying yes to everything because I, you know, I was young, I needed money, I was trying to make it as a young musician. And um I uh turned up to this rehearsal and they had the charts. So as the same, like the harmony's fine. And like straight away into the first tune, like I kind of had, I'd listened to a couple of things and I was like, "Ah, oh, I kind of get it. It's kind of like pol- polka kind of thing. Yeah. Literally like 10 seconds into the first tune, she'd stopped. She was just like, um, can you play the rhythm properly? And I was like, "Uh," and then she started like tapping it at me and then I tried and it was just, it was just a train wreck. It was just that awkward moment of like, she was like, yeah, you, you don't play this music, do you? And I was like, no. So like I, like i i've been you know like i've been there like a hundred percent with that kind i mean that that was like luckily that wasn't on a gig but i've had that feeling of just being like i just don't and it's that weird thing because you can use your analytical mind sometimes and i see this a, a lot with people playing latin american music you listen and you hear the clave and you're like okay so these beats are accented and you do that and then everyone's like no 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 it's not right it's not like all the people that are like the guys that have grown up doing it and there's like this weird like little kind of um there's we i mean i referred to it as a lilt before like a a lilt on the rhythm or like a it's a swing to the rhythm that's mm. not specific it's like so small it's not like because it's not metronomic it's like a feel thing almost so you can learn the technical rhythm but it's like is the feel and the phrasing right it's uh yeah. and that's the thing that takes ages to get down
0: yeah but I hear it a lot in people who are like just getting into jazz as well when they try and play melodies that are swinging, and it's just like my dad explained it to me when he was young, when I was young and he was saying there's like a lot of young jazz musicians it just sounds like they're always playing like did d like triplets or something yeah and yeah. um it's just that thing of not really understanding the feel but understanding it with your eyes maybe yeah like, absolutely it takes a while to loosen up into that, for yeah sure.
1: absolutely yeah that's a really good example um you get that a lot it's like um i always saw it as uh when people are learning jazz and it's that phrasing that like swung phrasing it's always like some sometimes people sound like a basketball it's like really like you know like (laughs) it's that kind of like a really overly emphasized kind of a swung eighth note that's like too it's too exaggerated um but yeah, it's the rhythmic side of stuff is, yeah, it's, it's um, I think with, I think like from my point of view, for anyone aspiring to play or like interested in any Latin American music that's based, that's like got a, a strong West African influence, like you can, you can, the I think the best thing to do is kind of like go back to the root. So, like, people just check out loads of fellow Cootie records. Because it's all based on the clave and, like, stuff. And it's, like, if you just go back to, like, where where that kind of rhythmic stuff originated from. Um, I do some lessons where some of my lectures are just, like, basing everything on a clave. So, it's, like, put superstition on and sing the clave, clap the clave. Because you can, there's always, yeah. it fits everything. It's just melodically whether it's three two or two three or there's like a push in it, it depends on the melody. The clave essentially just rhythmically fits different melodies. But like once you get into it, you start hearing it on everything. So for me, it's there when I play straight ahead. So I kind of like I can't get away from like it. It's like stuck. It's embedded in me now, forever. That's cool, man. Well, yeah,
0: maybe. I mean, I doubt it's unfortunate. I think I, I'm I'm interested in checking out some more of that stuff. Um, but yeah, cool, man. That's that's all super incredibly interesting and one thing it was actually Jack Jack had uh, left a question Um, and it's something I'm interested in as well but Mm -hmm. part of what I think attracted me to like or at least visually like seeing your playing was like the guitars that you use oh yeah you have some like pretty rad looking guitars do you mind yeah. telling me a bit about some of them because some of them i've never even heard of the brand before or okay. they just look straight up funky
1: yeah um so <sighs> the relationship i have with the inch it's a weird instrument you know like sax players say for example a sax player will like spend loads of money on a Selma Mark VI from the 50s and, like, that's all they ever want. And that's what they play and they play it for years and years and years and years and years. Um, Or, like, piano players, unfortunately, have to play different instruments every time they do a gig and, like, you know. Um, Guitars are a weird one because they're generally, like, inexpensive instruments in the grand scheme of things, you know. Um, So it means that we've got all... And we've got all this choice. Like, there's, like... Endless possibilities with guitar. Um, so, for years, I mean, I started off on a Stratocaster and then I had a thin line Telecaster for a year. I went to uni with that and I put a humbucker in the neck like Mike Stern. Um, and yeah, I kind of used that until for quite a, that was like my main guitar for years and years and years. And then I sold it to a student. Cause I just, like all of a sudden one day I didn't love it anymore. And I was just like, I had this new thing where like, I was just really uninspired by it somehow. And I I wanted something different. And I bought a really cheap eighties Yamaha Telecaster with two humbuckers that I used for quite a while um that I really liked but it wasn't quite the right guitar for me. And then I had like a Epiphone three three five copy for a bit and oh, I went through I just was going through guitars like crazy. You know, I was just kinda like couldn't couldn't settle on something. And there's this whole thing about wanting to find the perfect guitar, which I think's a bad idea. Now I've learned that it's like um and we I'm getting on to like the the kind of solution to all that for me, the way it came about. So I ended up getting a endorsement with a great company called JJ Guitars that build guitars in the UK. Uh, They built me a wonderful instrument. I use it a lot. It's really nice. Um, And um, still though, it was almost like too nice. I mean, I'm not, there's nothing bad about it. I love that guitar, but it was almost like too, too easy to play, too nice. too need, like, I'm, no... I'm
0: going to open it up and see, actually, I need to see what this one looks like. Is it on your page?
1: The JJ, it's a blue guitar. It kind of looks like a PRS. Yeah, cool. Nice. Um. So if you see me, I mean, I don't know the last time I put a video up with it because the guitar's living in London at the moment. No, that is, that's a newer guitar so that is well i can like way further back basically
0: oh wow this thing
1: uh oh no that that, (laughs) so yeah that's (laughs) we'll talk about that that's um i'm kind of into all this weird stuff but anyway i had this really nice guitar and it was great but there's still something that i was like looking for in an instrument so the guitar you see me play a lot is this tiny little semi... Well, fully hollow arch top, It's sunburst. Um, mm. And it's a Japanese guitar from like the mid-60s by uh, Tysco. It's like T-E-I-S-C-O. Yeah, yeah. So I got that guitar. Um, and it's such a piece of junk. Like the action's really high. It's got 19 frets. The pickups are so microphonic that you can speak through them like microphones. Damn. Um it's, yeah, it, everything about it is, like, non-conducive to good, to being able to play easily, easily, and it kind of freed me up as a result, because all of a sudden, I started gigging with it all the time. I did a gig in Glasgow with some great, one of the first gigs I did with it was with um, some great Scottish jazz musicians, uh, Ewan Burton, the bass player, and John Lowry, drummer, and Tom Gibbs, the piano player. So I went up and did this gig with them as, like, a quartet with this guitar, And it was just like, it was so hard. It was like the whole gig I was fighting with the guitar. But it kind of just made me stop worrying about what I was playing. And like, I mean, like the instrument and the equipment. And all of a sudden it was just like, right, this guitar is like near impossible to play and sounds really crazy. And the snare drum's coming through my amp through the pickups and stuff. So I just have to play music. So all of a sudden it took away, it's like cut out the kind of like thing of, it was like, there's nothing left other than me. Yeah. Um wow. so then as a result of that, I've just got into like really bizarre guitars. So the guitar you just showed me a picture of, that's made by a German company called Shaw. Shaw guitars, a guy called Nikolai, a good friend of mine. And um yeah, that's like a it's just a it's kind of like an old German arch top, but like super conceptual. Um like it's got like a <sighs> The necks kind of hollow almost, or something. It's really bizarre, and that, that again is like it's a really interesting instrument. And it kind of like, as a result, because it's nothing like anything else, it like forces me to play a certain way. Um, so all are it uh, <laughs> are all of your guitars
0: designed to make you uh fight?
1: <laughs> uh, no. So, like, the one I use a lot at the moment, the one the dark colored one with the crazy big pickups on, um. That was designed by a chap in the Midlands called Andy Charles. Uh, And that's a hollow body guitar, um, but with no F-holes. And that's, I mean, like, it's really nice. It's really nicely made. It's super easy to play. It's a, you know, like, it's like Mm -hmm. what you'd expect from like a high quality (laughs) instrument. Um, And I really like playing that one because um, it's, yeah, it kind of. So what's It's got these gold foil pickups that are kind of trashy mm-hmm. like the T- the Tysco pickups but then it's like plays really well. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds almost.
0: Ah, cool, nice. What's the deal with the fully hollow body with no apples? Like what's that uh
1: adding? Is no it just feedback.
0: weight or
1: oh, just right no right feedback right. live. So it like still feels and resonates like a, a like a, an acoustic guitar. I like I like full hollow body guitars instead of semi-hollow. Mm. Like I actually like the guitars could be completely hollow. Um, right. But this has a flat top on it. It doesn't have a carved top. So it's like really feedback resistant, but it still has that kind of like resonance. I kind of love that live. I mean, you'll have it with your De Angelico, even though it's a semi. Yep. When it's like you feel the instrument resonating when you're playing at a louder volume, you can feel it again. I really like that. Like it helps me... It helps me kind of get into what's going on more because our instrument's weird. We have to go into like a speaker and, you know, like it's that annoying thing when you play with like a sax player or a piano player and they're playing like a completely acoustic instrument whereas we've got all this like additional stuff where it's part of the instrument but it's like it's so overcomplicated. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. You're absolutely right. First of all, totally agree on the semi-hollow or fully hollow thing. I just, I feel... I don't know man it's it's a bit harder to play guitars that aren't hollow in some way because of that mm-hmm. resonance. Yeah. And I I was thinking recently about how I'd spent a lot of time practicing unplugged and uh-huh. then I was like wait a minute. Like the amp is part of my instrument and mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to sound like myself without it because that's yeah. part of the sound. I mean I can sound like myself like I guess musically but tonally that's another thing unless I'm yeah. playing an acoustic guitar and yeah, I think it's actually really important to practice with an amp. Yeah. Like it, e- even if you're just, I don't know, practicing timing or whatever it is, like just yeah. use an amp. Absolutely.
1: I think um yeah, I think one thing I've noticed um and this is like a pitfall that like so anyone out there that's like younger and doing this, this is like me kind of pre-warning people. Um I'd spent a lot of time practicing without any amp just like and just trying to get like... Because I studied classical guitar a bit when I was younger. Um, I did it at Berkeley as well as an elective. So like I had this thing of like, oh, I must play like, you know, I must be able to create a good sound without any of that. And then on gigs, I found that like everything was messed up because all of a sudden your feel and like your actual... The, pro- the production of the sound from the amp if you're not used to it. I found that like I was kind of hesitant to play... And I was hesitant because it was just like, I'd pick a note, and be like, oh God, that's so loud. So then I'd start playing quieter than I'd practiced, which messed my whole technique up. Um, yep. So I think it's really good to play with the setup that you, like the whole thing. So it's like, that is your instrument. Like, mm. um, and I, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a great thing. And I agree also on the solid body thing. I find it really hard to get them to respond. You know, mm. I kind of find yeah, the attack really fast. It always freaks me out a bit. You know?
0: <laughs> I think another tip that I would have for people who are trying to, maybe they're younger and they're like thinking about the fact that they want to play live one day is that um, if you're going to choose to stand up, which most people do, um, you, you should really practice sitting at the or having your guitar at the point where it's going to be when you stand up. Yep. So I always get my students to like, set their strap at a position where it's the same as when they stand up yeah you know what i mean yeah and it's like it's just a really small small kind of tip but once you do it you realize that it's not actually harder playing standing up because a lot of people say that when they're starting to get into it they're like oh i can't play standing up it's like well you can actually you just need to adjust your strap height so it's the same when you're sitting down
1: absolutely uh yeah all these things are really important there's all these technical considerations i mean like i'm constantly battling with technique because i consistently change my technique and it's this annoying annoying thing that i've got um it's uh I, ever since i um read an interview with don cherry uh, the trumpet player from ornette coleman's shape of jazz come and stuff and he consistently changed his like his trumpet Like every few months, he'd just change to a different brand or go from a pocket trumpet to a cornet to whatever, just because it forced him to like check. He couldn't rely on stuff. And I thought like that was like Mm -hmm. a good act of self-sabotage. So then like in my early 20s, I stopped using a pick completely and started using just my fingers. And then I started using a thumb pick like a Nashville guy. And now I'm kind of like halfway in between. So I did a tour late last year. And I just switched back to using a thumb pick again just for that tour and it was like I don't know why I do this because it's like almost like oh you know like the technique's kind of there but it's like so like yeah and if anything I could say to people is like be consistent with your technique don't do what I do because it's a nightmare. Yeah
0: I mean but still like there there is something to be learned in that process of self-sabotage and it's like the ad- adaptation of something new and like it forces you into new spaces mm-hmm. and i think part of what i love about, about my uh is the x uh, the ss one sorry the neck is it feels thicker than any guitar that i would ever buy yeah but for whatever reason it brings out something in my playing that the other guitars don't and i love that i wouldn't even say it's a limitation it's just something i did not expect that does bring out a characteristic that i maybe don't achieve on other instruments nice and yeah i think it's important to find something that works for you because it might be a i know like that trashy tesco or whatever it is um or it might be a fancy like gold top gibson les paul you know it doesn't really matter at the end of the day as long as you can get your sound across
1: Um, absolutely the most important thing and i'd I, say i think that yeah i think i think that's the important thing is that like ultimately what you want to do is minimalize the distance between you and the music you create um so your choice of equipment and whatnot so for me like in some cases uh, it, i need to kind of do that thing of changing my technique around and using i'm always changing the pedals i've got on my board and i'm like i mean like unfortunately for me um with a lot of touring scenarios, I have to play backline amps a lot, um, which I often don't get choice on, which means that more often than not, it's a completely blown out Fender Twin reissue. Like that's like, I'm so fed up of them, but like it's got to the point where I'm so used to turning up and it's like a backline company has provided a Fender Twin reissue that has been like through the wars, you know, like... And yeah. you never quite know what you're gonna get, so I've got kind of used to that fact that I I can't. I'd love to be in a position where I could turn up somewhere and always have the same exact setup, like. But well,
0: yeah. Have you ever considered like trying out modelling? Uh... No, I, I'm uh, for people listening. I don't mean like uh, physical modelling. I mean like amp
1: modelling. So, like, have you ever tried it? I I have always been against it um, for whatever reason, but in the past year, I use, um, for all the production, I do, I mean, I do a lot of, um, writing, like, songwriting for people and production, and, um, I use, I kind of got into using the Slate digital stuff, uh, because it's, like, nice, it's, like, subscription-based and whatnot, and then I, they released, like, the light version of this plugin called Overloud. It's like an amp simulator. And, like, I spent... To start with, I kind of hated it. But then I spent ages trying to, like, recreate my exact sound of all my pedals and my amp on there. And it took me a while. But once i programmed it, now, like, the majority of the videos on my Instagram are all through that, which is all simulated. Ah. And it's kind of, okay. like... Um... And also a load of the records I play on. So, like, there's quite a lot of stuff coming out uh, soon. And there's stuff that's already out, uh, like, records I've played on. And if it's not, like, live recorded stuff, it's generally this plugin. And no one can tell. So... Yeah, nice. um, So I'm not, like, 100% against it. And, like, I know... I've got students that have, like, Kempers and, like, like, Axe FX. Is that it? Yeah. And all that stuff, and like I am kind of like swayed to a point. Like uh, I know Kurt uses an axe FX these days and stuff, and like yeah. you know, I mean, I mean he's he he'll make anything sound good. So you know, it's, well that's because the music's yeah, there and he's connected. Yeah, to yeah. It. although one one so. thing on that really interesting. Um, anyone that likes Kurt Rosenwinkel uh, needs to go and check out a video of him playing at A-Train in Berlin. And it's like with loads of jazz, it's like a jam. And it's with another great guitarist called Torsten Goods. Um, So if you just go on and search like Kurt Rosenwin called Torsten or something. Um, but Kurt's playing like, cause it's a jam. He's plugging, he's goes straight into a Fender Twin with no effects and it's so interesting to hear it's like the only time you'll hear him with no delay no reverb no like 1k mid boost on his parametric key. none of that stuff it's dry and they're just playing straight uh, straight ahead tune and it's like it's burning you know it's that yeah, thing man. like
0: i think i think i've seen that before yeah it's
1: super cool i think it's just interesting like anyone that's into that stuff cuz i think sometimes we can all use our like sounds and our pedals as kind of like crutches so it's kind of like good just to go and check out someone like him performing without any of that additional stuff. Um, yeah, man. So, but yeah, I'm not against amp modeling. I just, uh, I just haven't got there yet. I still like my big pedal board with all my separate pedals, and you know.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, uh, so I I'm at the end of a relationship with an Axe FX right now, and um, I used it exclusively pretty much for about five months. Yeah. Right it's an absolute Mm -hmm. beast it's so so good but it's only good if you need the same tone every single time like i don't know about you but the music i play is often has a lot of improvisation and i need to be able to change stuff and like react to oh shit i need like a different type of reverb or like more delay here and i can only program in like well, I guess technically 16 sounds, but then there's 16 locked in sounds on this board and they're amazing, but they're restrictive for me. Yeah. And, you know, if I was doing a pop gig or something that required the same sound every bloody night, yeah. then I, w- I would probably keep it. But I think I'm actually going to sell it Yeah. and uh, continue using my Supro with uh, my pedal board. But I think I might buy one of those small Helix stomps just oh, yeah. in case I ever need to like just plug in because it's like it's quarter the size quarter the price and it sounds amazing Uh, so yeah you can get the best of like both worlds you just
1: need to work a bit on it yeah i um i need to say that you put a poll up where you were like which setup should i keep and i voted for the supra and the pedals like without a doubt most people did man um but like for example i'm in a similar situation so like the the main gig one of the bigger the, one of the main gigs i've got is playing in chris dave's band and he's just like he wants different sounds all the time he wants i mean he's he said to i mean like i feel i have quite a big pedal board um for like i've got quite a lot going on on my pedal board I quite some weird stuff as well Um, and then recently he said to one of the people at Ronnie Scott's in London, um, that I, that's a friend of mine. Um, like my friend went up to Chris and was like, oh, you know, like I know Tom. And then Chris was like, oh yeah, I'm trying to get him to buy more pedals. That was like his response. So like with him and working (laughs) with him, he's like, he's kind of like, I want a million sounds and I want them on tap. Like, so he's like, he wants, he wants like just endless tonal possibilities and like you said i've looked into the amp modeling stuff the stuff on my laptop's great but it is limited it's not like yeah and it's that thing like it's like what if you just want to like press like a random combination of your pedals on that you've never done before just because you kind of like you can kind of hear what it might sound like but on a gig like there's a point where it's just like i need you know like whether well, it's like you've got some modulation going on or something, but you like need drive as well at the same time as that, and it's just like if you're on like a amp simulated thing, and you haven't patched that or programmed it. You kind of like yep. you can't just get down on the floor and start like you know like trying to program it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's how I feel like when I I am trying to let react to that situation. But I have considered like sticking the Axe Effects on a pedal board, and that thing would just be a limit like limitless possibilities but again it's it's not what I'm looking for so I'm going to get ready yeah. But, um yeah man cool so anything coming up in the next couple of months that i mean i guess by the time this is out i don't know what month it'll be but um is there anything we should watch out for um
1: for yourself i i'm kind of uh finally putting out a record of my own stuff of just me um so there there's stuff like online that i've been part of um like different Bands, and there's one album on Bandcamp where I remade Chet Baker sing. So, if anyone oh wow, did you? Cool, check that out! Yeah, nice. um, you just search my name and Bandcamp, and that's with a great trumpet player who also sings. Um, but and that, but that's from like years ago, that's like quite dated now. But I'm finally like uh putting an EP out um of my own stuff, which should be out by spring or mid to late spring. Um, and then other than that other things um, there's I've done some there's a great piano player called Reuben James I work with a lot Um, so his next record I'm playing guitar and bass uh, but mainly guitar some bits of bass on a bunch of it and one of the songs I wrote and produced as well Um, and Chris Dave's next album I've been doing bits and pieces on that not sure that when that will come out, but it'll be this year. And finally, there's a little... Uh, a really good friend of mine who plays drums for me is a guy called David Hodek from Slovakia. He's the drummer in my band. And his little brother is Aaron Hodek, who's a, the really young bass player. There's kind of like a phenomenon online. Um, so, yeah, his, his record, Aaron's record's coming out uh, in spring, and I'm playing on one of the tracks on that as well, so that'll be worth checking out. Um and then yeah, just outside of that, just like oh there's there's um one other thing that's worth mentioning um there's a really amazing singer I work with called Poppy Judah. Um from she's kinda like a jazz singer in London. Um, and I've been working with her a lot uh in the past year and there's um there's a bunch of songs we've written together and we did a arrangement of watermelon man that's coming out on blue note at some point so just yeah there's bits and pieces everywhere and if not like that then i'm always just putting up goofy videos on instagram of like lo-fi hip-hop or you know stuff
0: i hope you enjoyed episode 12 of sitting in with thomas seminar Ford. Uh, all the thomas's uh, links are in the description to this podcast and as always thank you so much to everybody who's been getting some merch on teespring and yeah look forward to the next episode see ya